Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, brothers and sisters. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to stand in front of you today and thankful to Pastor John and Pastor Trey for their uh, prayer and support and encouragement. Uh, let's begin with a prayer. Lord, we praise you today for the truth of your word. We praise you that you are not silent, but have spoken to us through scripture. And we pray that today you would pour out your spirit upon us, that we would not only hear your truth, but understand it. We would not only see what, but would perceive by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians 2. We'll be looking at the first uh, 10 verses. A survey released last year talked to 2,000 adults, asking them to agree or disagree with this statement. A person who's generally good or does enough good things for others will earn a place in heaven. Agree or disagree? (laughs) What do you think people said? Or actually, what do you think Christians said? About a third of people surveyed called themselves born-again Christians. What did they say? Can being good earn you a place in heaven? Believe it or not, brothers and sisters, 60% said yes. A person who's generally good or does enough good things for others will earn a place in heaven. Now, I hope that most of us here who listen to Pastor John and Pastor Trey's good teaching would say no, you can't earn your way into heaven. But I suspect that some of us may forget this at times because our culture constantly tells us being good is what gets people into heaven. This idea is everywhere and it affects us. It affects the way we as Christians think. We want to understand good works, not the way that the world thinks about them, but the way that scripture teaches us about them. So today we're looking at Ephesians 2, which is an amazing passage about transformation, right? In this passage, Paul wants us to understand how our good works relate both to achieving the transformation and to our new state. Ephesians 2 verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raises us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable richness of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Thanks be to God for his word. Please uh, be seated. Let's start by looking at this section as a whole. This chapter is about transformation. A transformation is going from one state to another, and that's what's happening here. First, there's the old state, with its behaviors and consequences. And then there's the new state, 
with different behaviors and different consequences. So what's the old state? Paul tells us in verse one, the state is dead in trespasses and sins. And this isn't just the state of his Gentile audience. In verse three, we see that the Jews also are in the same awful state. And this state exhibits a certain kind of behavior, walking according to the ways of this world, verse two, carrying out the inclinations of the flesh, verse three, and this state has consequences. We were under wrath. But then, verse four begins, but God. While we were in this state of helplessness and hopelessness, God initiates an amazing transformation. The old state was being dead, but the new state is made alive in Christ. The transformation is one from death to life, and this new state has new consequences. Remember, the old consequence was being under wrath. Not only is that removed, but it tells us in verse 6, he has, he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. The old consequence, wrath, has been replaced by reigning with Christ. And there are also new behaviors that flow from this new state. And that's one of the things we're going to look at more closely. In fact, this passage is very rich. There are many things we could talk about. But today, I want to focus on one particular issue, and that's the issue of good works. The reason I want to focus on this is because, brothers and sisters, no matter how many times we hear it, it's really hard for us to believe that good works don't save us. And even when we believe it in our heads, it's still really hard to truly believe it in our hearts. As I said a few minutes ago, 60% of born-again Christians think that being good is what gets us into heaven, even though this passage is clear that that's not true. It's hard to break out of that thinking. I'm good, so I can go to heaven. So this morning, we want to look at good works. Verse 8 and 9 tell us, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift not from works, so that no one can boast. And the better we understand this, the better we'll understand what works should mean to us. We have grace, faith, and works. Let's talk about each of those. So first of all, what is the basis on which we're given new life? How are we getting this? If being good is not what gets us into heaven, what does? Well, Paul gives us the answer at the end of verse 5. You are saved by grace. And he repeats this in verse 8. You are saved by grace. The basis of your salvation is the grace of God, not your works. So your works are not where your hope should be. Now, I imagine some of you probably have student loans. Probably some of you have car loans, maybe house loans. If you borrow money and don't pay it back, what will happen to you? Well, if you don't pay your student loans... I went over to studentaid.gov to find out what would happen to you, and it's not a very pleasant list of stuff. <laughs> and you know, if you don't pay your mortgage, the bank will repossess your house. And if you don't make your car payment, they'll come and take your car. And I even read somewhere that when they get this self-driving thing going in Teslas, if you don't make your payment, your Tesla will drive itself back to the dealership. <laughs> what it comes down to is this. If you borrow money and you can't pay it back, the consequences are not good. But if that sounds bad, in New Testament times, they were actually a lot worse. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 18 about a servant who owed a king a tremendous amount of money, and he couldn't pay it back. And the king, in order to get his money, was going to sell everything the man had, including the man himself and his wife and his kids. Can you imagine the fear and anxiety this man must have felt? So he throws himself on the mercy of the king. He falls face down before him, and he begs for patience. 
please spare me, spare my family. And the master has compassion and forgives the debt. This is an example of grace, brothers and sisters. It's forgiving our debt that we could never repay. We've brought terrible consequences on ourselves by sinning against God. Grace is God removing those consequences by sending Christ to pay the debt on our behalf. This work of Christ is what brings us from death to life. When some pollster calls you on the phone and asks you if being good will get you into heaven, the answer is no, it's grace that gets me into heaven, not works. Now, imagine if you were the servant who owed all the money. Imagine you borrowed millions from the king, you lost it all investing in cryptocurrency, and now you have nothing left but $20 in your wallet. Do you think you could just offer the king $20 and hope that would be good enough? That would be foolish. He doesn't need your money. Your only hope is that the king will have mercy. It's the same for us. We will never be able to pay back our debt to God. And if our hope is in trying to pay it back through good works, we are doomed. It's like offering $20 when you owe millions. Your only hope is in the mercy of God, not in anything that you do. Do you love your enemies? That's awesome. I'm so glad if you do, Christ commanded us to. But that won't get you into heaven. It's not good enough. Have you sold all of your possessions and given the proceeds to the poor? Hey, that's amazing. I admire you, but it won't get you into heaven. It's not good enough. Have you done signs and miracles in the name of Jesus? It's not good enough to get you into heaven. All of these things are great, but you cannot put your hope in them. Okay. Where can you put your hope? On the day when Jesus returns to judge this earth, what confidence do you have? The grace of God. 1 Peter 1.13 tells us, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our works give us no hope. God's grace is our only hope. Okay, so grace, not works, are the basis of our salvation. And because of that, we have no hope in our good works. It's all grace. But how do we get this grace? Well, Paul tells us in verse 8, for you are saved by grace through faith. So let's talk about faith now. Grace is the basis of our salvation, but faith is the mechanism by which we have access to this grace. In other words, if we want God's grace, we get that grace through faith, not through works. Because of grace, we have no hope in our works. Because of faith, we have no pride in our works. Let's be clear, first of all, what we mean when we say faith. Faith is trusting in the promises that God has made to us in Scripture. It means trusting that God has forgiven our sins through the work of Jesus, because that's what he's promised us. Okay, but how does that relate to grace? It sounds a little bit like Paul is splitting hairs here. Saved by, saved through, what's the difference? Well, I think the best way of understanding this is one I found from Charles Spurgeon, our brother in Christ who preached in England back in the 1800s. Let me explain his take on this. Do you know what an aqueduct is? Most of you do. It's it's an artificial waterway that's built to move water from a place that has water to a place that needs water. You can see a lot of famous examples of these in Europe with big arches built by the Romans. Some of those are still moving water to this day. The Roman ones are famous, but they were used even earlier than that in Egypt and Babylon and elsewhere. So the purpose of the aqueduct is to move water. 
And Spurgeon explained saved by grace through faith using the aqueduct as an analogy. Grace, he said, is like water and faith is like the aqueduct that carries the water to you. Grace is what we need to be saved. Faith is how we have access to that grace. The aqueduct is the channel through which water comes to you. Faith is the channel by which God's grace comes to you. Now, the problem here is that sometimes we misunderstand this. We say, if it's God's job to provide the water, then my job is to build the aqueduct. We, we think it's like a 50-50 thing. God provides the grace, I provide the faith, and together I get salvation. But if that were true, I would need to work hard to build my faith in order to get God's grace. In this thinking, my faith itself would be a work. It's something that I build so I can get salvation. Brothers and sisters, this will never succeed. If it was up to us to build the aqueduct, we would all fail. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. The King James says they're like filthy rags. Your good works are not good enough. They're like your dirty, sweaty gym clothes after you work out. And then you forget and leave them in the car, and they get baked in 100-degree temperatures for a day. And at that point, you debate, should I wash these or just throw them in the dumpster, right? The best you can do with your own righteousness is like something disgusting to God. You'll never be able to do it by yourself. You'll never be able, on your own, to build a faith good enough to access God's grace. But there's good news. Look at what Paul says in verse 8. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. The gift it's talking about here is not just the grace, it's the whole process of saved by grace through faith. He gives you grace and he gives you faith. God doesn't just, doesn't just supply the water, he builds the aqueduct for us. It's a gift. Can you think of any time you got a gift you felt like you didn't deserve? I remember this kid when I was in high school, his name was Vu, he was Vietnamese. He was a year behind me. He was the only Vietnamese kid in school. He was living with an older couple in our community who would host immigrants at different times. I don't know anything about his family, but they were nowhere around. I didn't want to pry. Or maybe I didn't really care that much. Vu had no car. I used to give him rides home from soccer practice. It wasn't really out of my way. It wasn't a big deal. We were friendly. But, but not close friends. Anyway, somehow, Vu ended up at my high school graduation party. I don't remember inviting him, but I saw him at the door. So I went over and was like, hey, man, come in and have some cake and ice cream. But he was like, no, I've got to leave. A happy graduation, and he took off. It was only much later in the evening when most people had gone home that I realized he had snuck a gift under the gift table. It was a leather duffel bag. Pretty nice, not cheap. A guy with no family who worked a minimum wage job had given me the nicest, most expensive present of anyone there. When I realized it was from him, I, I was speechless. I was so moved by that gift. Do you think I said, you know, I really kind of deserve this gift. I did give him rides home. I never made fun of his accent. I knew he was Vietnamese, which was more than most people at school. But in the end, these are all terrible reasons. 
The honor for this gift is 100% due to the giver and his generosity. If I tried to take some kind of credit for it or say that I earned it, I would be taking credit I did not deserve for a gift I did not deserve. Brothers and sisters, our faith also is a gift, so there is no room for boasting. If we start thinking that we somehow deserve God's gift, if we think we merit them in some way, not only are we completely wrong, but we're taking something that belongs to God. Because this gift of salvation by grace through faith is meant to give glory to the giver. And we see that clearly in verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. If you boast about how your works are contributing to your salvation, you are the recipient of the gift, taking the glory that belongs to the giver of the gift. Your boasting is taking God's glory for yourself. The grace you receive, the faith you've been given, the entire process of salvation is for God's glory alone. There is no room for pride. So we've already seen that the basis of salvation is grace. And we saw that this grace comes to us through faith. Good works are not where we put our hope, and they're nothing to boast about. But then, what are good works for? If they don't contribute to our salvation, why are we doing them? The truth I'd like to show you here is this. Good works are in no way a cause of our salvation. Instead, good works are the result of our salvation. We do good works as a result of our salvation because when we have encountered the grace of the living God, when he has moved us from being dead in our trespasses to being alive in Christ, good works are the result. When your life is transformed by the grace of God and you've been set free from the tyranny of sin, good works are what flow from you naturally. Let's talk about why they flow from us naturally. Take a look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. This word, workmanship, only comes up in one other place in the Bible, in Romans 1.20, where it's referring to God's creation, everything he made. But here in Ephesians, it's being used in a different sense. God created you, but here it's talking about a different kind of creation. Keep following verse 10. Created in Christ Jesus... So you were created once, several decades ago, when you were born in a hospital in South Florida. <laughs> but, you were later, but you were later born again when you accepted Christ. And that's when you were made a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. That's right, the old has passed away, the new has come. Praise God. The oldest passed away, brothers and sisters. Our old selves were dead in our trespasses and sin. We lived lives of evil and wickedness. That's how we walked, it said in verse 2. Why did we walk this way? Verse 3 uses the word inclination. We did wicked things because it was our inclination. But now the old has passed away and the new has come. We were delivered from these old inclinations when we were transformed in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, new creations have new inclinations. If the old inclination was to walk in wickedness, what is the new inclination? Verse 10 tells us we were created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. This is our new inclination. This is what we were created for. 
And verse 10 describes these as good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now, in my CSB translation, it says prepared ahead of time for us to do, but the King James and the ESV translate this more literally. And they say that these good works were prepared so that we should walk in them. It's the same word walk we saw in verse 2. It's the same word because new life means new walk based on new inclinations. But there's more. God doesn't just transform our inclinations. He also gives us the opportunity to fulfill our new implications. It's like he gives us hunger and he gives us food to fulfill that desire. In the same way, he gives us a desire to do good works and he gives us the works to do so we can fulfill those desires. Isn't that amazing? We already saw grace as a gift from God and faith as a gift from God. Now we see Good works also are a gift from God. Why are they a gift? Because when we do the things we were created to do, that's when we flourish. When we're doing the things we were designed to do, that's when we're truly fulfilled. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works which are a testimony to the grace we've received and bring glory to our Father. The opportunity to live for Him by doing those good works is an amazing gift for us. So how should we feel about doing these good works, knowing that they're not the cause of our salvation, but the result of our salvation? We already saw that good works should not give us pride, nor should they give us hope. So so what should they bring us? Joy, these good works should bring us joy. So what does this mean that they bring us joy? Well, have you ever asked this question? Are good works really necessary? If my good works don't do anything for my salvation, can I just skip them? Are they optional? Brothers and sisters, this is the wrong question. Do you remember the story in Luke 7 of the woman who anoints Jesus' feet with perfume while he's eating with a Pharisee, washing his feet with tears, wiping them with her hair? That woman was a great sinner, but her sins were forgiven. Do you think she asked, oh man, do I really have to go touch his feet? How many tears is this going to take? Do I really have to use my hair? I like my hair. No, she experienced grace, and there was nothing she wanted more than to serve Jesus in this way. When you've experienced God's grace, serving him is not a burden, it's a joy. Another example would be Isaiah. When he encounters God in Isaiah 6, he realizes whose presence he's in. He says, woe is me, for I am ruined. He realizes that his sinfulness and God's holiness are irreconcilable, and he's going to die. But then he receives grace. Somehow, his sins are atoned for. He doesn't understand quite how, and he really couldn't understand until the cross. But as soon as Isaiah experiences God's grace, the first thing he does is volunteer. He doesn't say, oh man, I've gone from death to life, but do I really have to serve? He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't say, yeah, grace is good, but there's something I want to watch on Netflix tonight. No, he's the first to volunteer. When you encounter God the way Isaiah did, the way the woman who anointed Jesus' feet did, When you experience his grace, doing good works is a privilege and an honor and a joy. 
If you're like, yeah, I'm just not feeling that. I know I should feel joy at serving, but it doesn't make me happy. It's boring. It's too much work. If that's you, the problem isn't that God is that serving God is too boring or too hard. The problem is that you haven't spent enough time thinking about the grace of God in your life. Do you really believe that you were a child of wrath? Do you understand what it means that the most powerful being in the universe was formerly your enemy and purely out of grace, not because of anything you did? The unpayable debt you owe to him has been paid on your behalf through the work of Christ. If that doesn't mean anything to you, ask whether you've ever really experienced God's grace. I'm not trying to guilt you into serving, but I hope that you examine your heart, meditate on what the Lord has done for you, and put him at the center of the story instead of yourself. See if your heart changes. Some other people might be saying, Yeah, I completely agree. I believe that God has made me a new creation to do good works which he's prepared, but I don't know what these good works are. What am I supposed to be doing? If that's you, I understand. I've been there. I think think the best thing you can do is pray about it. What if you woke up early tomorrow and started your day praying and you told the Lord, that you long to know what good works he's prepared for you to do. What if you prayed, Lord, give me an opportunity today to show your love to someone. Put me in a situation where I can be an encouragement to someone who needs it, where I can help someone in an unexpected way, where I can serve my brothers and sisters, where I can glorify you in my interactions. What if you said that to God? Not because you have so much to offer God, but because you long to do the things which he has called you to do. What if you kept praying this every day, thanking God for the joy when he answers this prayer and asking for more? Lord, open my eyes to opportunities to serve you. What do you think God might do through someone with that type of heart? This might not lead you to a life that's easy. Keep reading through Isaiah to see some of what he ended up doing. It wasn't an easy life. It's a kind of life that might not look exciting on Instagram and Facebook. But oh, the joy you would experience if you earnestly prayed that God would give you chances to serve him, not just to live your life unengaged from him and his work. The joy you would know, you would be living your best life here on this earth in preparation for the best life of eternity, for the fullness of joy that is being in God's presence forever. Brothers and sisters, we've seen today that we are not saved by good works, but are saved by grace. So good works are not where our hope should lie. We also saw that we are not saved through good works, but through faith. So there's no room for boasting about what we've done. And then we saw that actually, we're saved not by or through good works, but for good works. They have no part in securing our salvation but are the result of our encounter with the profound grace we've been shown by God, which leads us to love him deeply and want to serve him with all we have. Christ's sacrifice for us was greater than any good work we could ever do. 
And as we consider what he's done for us, the good works we used to think were too inconvenient or too much work instead become a joy and a privilege. Instead of asking, do I have to do good works? We begin praising God for the opportunity to do good works and asking him to help us find them and do them and glorify himself through them as we delight in the joy that it gives us to do them. My prayer for us this week is that we would be filled with this joy. Uh, Let us pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.